Good morning. This is Pastor Todd. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. This week, I am sharing a message for the church. I trust the Lord uses it to encourage and build you up. And here is this week's message. I have a day dedicated to commemorating and celebrating uh, the freedoms as Americans, Lord. Like from the founding in 1776 to the writing of the Bill of Rights all the way up to today. Lord, thank you for the freedoms that you have offered uh, and that we have uh, in the United States. We give you the thanks, the praise, the glory, and the honor for who you are, for how you've saved us as individuals, and how you've helped us come to a nation uh, that honors and respects human freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Fourth of July, got to do a Fourth of July message, right? So, we're doing a Fourth of July message. Kind of titled this one, Why I Believe the United States is Based in Christianity. Um, and here's the thing. I'm not going to do hardly any exposition whatsoever. I just figured I'm going to let the Founding Fathers speak for themselves. So we're just going to do a whole bunch of quotes. And then let's see if they think that we're a Christian nation. Okay? So that's, uh, that's just what I'm doing. So... I know that in recent times it's been very popular, and I've even heard this in the workforce, um, for people to accru- accuse Christians that love America as serving America as an idol, or serving the Constitution as an idol, or the Bill of Rights as an idol. Um, and I don't think that that's a true accusation. Um, I, I think that that is a, a misguided uh, assertion. Because part of every civilization involves culture, the value systems, the structure, like the way you go about doing things. And the thing that makes it unique uh, is, is how that integrates into a worldview. And so what makes America's founding principles unique is that they recognize, even in the Declaration of Independence, that all men are created equal. Now, it took us a long time to finally get to that point, but it was in the foundation that all men are created equal. And it also acknowledges that humans receive their rights not from the government, but from their creator, from God. So it's, the government's job is to make sure that those rights don't get violated, not to give or take away those rights. That's the whole basis of the American structure. So along with this, the Founding Fathers recognized these freedoms can only succeed, like we can only live in a free society if our society is virtuous and moral. And we'll see some of that in the excerpts below. And, and my, my take on this whole like idolatry thing is like, just because you're willing to fight and defend something doesn't mean that that's your God. Like for me, God is first and foremost the primary thing in my life. But I would fight to the death to protect my wife and kids. My wife and kids are not my God. And so I will fight as much as I need to to protect my rights as an American. And it's not because America is my God or the Constitution is my God. It's because I believe God has given us this country as a gift. And it's our job to to rise up to the occasion to defend whenever that gets threatened. And that's not an idolatry. You never see in the Old Testament anywhere where when the Israelites go to war, them being accused of idolatry because they want to defend the nation that God gave them. 
And so that's how I look at myself as an American citizen living in America, that if I need to do a battle, it, for me it's mostly going to be uh, verbal and, and you know, intellectual. That's, just, that's the avenue that God's put me through. But that battle's going to happen. Uh, and so I don't worship America. I don't worship the Constitution. I worship the living God, and I love my country. So it's not an idolatry. And I think, uh, along with some other people, that this idea that American nationalism is this idolatry thing or is this evil thing that's been spouted is because they're confusing the idea of a love for one's country with the idea of a national imperialism, right? So, and what they usually go back to is uh, World War II, when uh, Adolf Hitler rose to power in Germany, the, they were very nationalistic. They loved their country, right? Pro-German, pro-Aryan. The problem is that what Hitler wanted to do was to turn all the world into the Third Reich. And we don't want to turn all the world into America. So there's a difference in that breakdown. So it's the national imperialism that starts causing problems uh, with living a right life and, and having a just nation. It's not a love for the country. Like G.K. Chesterton, one of the forerunners of C.S. Lewis, even said that like he wants the French to stay French. When he goes to France, he wants to experience French culture. He wants the Germans to stay German. He wants the Americans to stay German because it's unique to their culture. It's unique to who they are. And that's what American nationalism is, is that we love American culture. And we love the foundation of our American culture that's founded on freedoms, that's founded on uh, the idea of self-government, where we can, can decide for ourselves what is best for us and our family, what is best for our communities. And that's why we have this whole concept of a representative government and not this top-down dictatorial structure. So America is dedicated, this, these principles are dedicated to preserving the freedoms of a free people with the right to self-govern. Imperialism will seek to dominate other people and force their views on them. And that's never been the American way. There's influence, yes, but there's no forceful dominance. <clears throat> so at our core, as Americans, we value liberty, we value freedom. That's, that's the core of it. Like most, most Americans just want to be free to do their own thing. That's basically it. And so that's where we stand. So we're going to look at the words of the, the Founding Fathers and look at the influence that Christianity has over the founding of the United States of America. So we're going to start out with uh, George Washington. So this is our first slide, uh, our next slide here. George Washington, our first president. So context for this quote, on the day that Congress finished its work on the First Amendment, he called on President George Washington to issue a proclamation to the people of the United States to thank God for the freedoms we enjoy. A week and a day later, the president's opening paragraph says this, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favor. <clears throat> Next quote we have from him, he goes on to say that without a humble imitation of Christ, we would never hope 
to be a happy nation. The next one, his farewell address. This is where he neatly summarizes the essentiality of biblical morals and ethics. He says, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion, and in those days religion meant Christianity, and morality are indispensable supports. And another time he is quoted saying, it is impossible to rightly govern a nation without God and the Bible. So that's George Washington. I think, you know, his position as the first president has a lot to say with the direction that the, the nation ends up going. So then, as Washington fades, we move into the second president, John Adams. And John Adams writes a letter to Thomas Jefferson, June 28, 1813, and says, The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I will avow that I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. He goes on to say in a letter to his wife Abigail on July 3rd, 1776, in which he says, the second day of July, 1776, so he was off by two days of what eventually landed, will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other from this time forward forever. Now, side note, the United States of America was not covering the entire continent at this time. So I don't know if he had a bigger vision, but he's saying on this continent, from one end to the other, this is going to be the celebration. That doesn't, we don't even get halfway there until the Louisiana Purchase under Thomas Jefferson. So like, he's like talking down the road a bit here. So then that takes us to our third president, Thomas Jefferson. A lot of people say that Jefferson was a deist. Um, he was a slave owner. So were a lot of people at the time. Kind of hard to get around that. It's a fact of history. They also say that he had all the uh, miracles taken out of the Bible. I don't know how true that is. It's possible. I, don't, I haven't looked into that. He did authorize missionaries to go into the unreached areas of America to spread the gospel. I do know that. And then here are some of the things that Jefferson had to say. Whether he's a deist or not, I can't say. These are the things that we have on record. Thomas Jefferson wrote, God who gave us life gave us liberty. And can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are of the gift of God, that they are not to be violated, but with his wrath. So if we violate the liberties of the United States of America, there is a wrath to come from God. Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. 
that a revolution of the wheel of fortune, a change of situation, is among possible events, that it may become probable by supernatural influence. The Almighty has no attribute which can take side with us in that event. Just saying that if we pursue a national policy, a personal policy of unrighteousness, violating human conscience, violating human freedom, then there's a wrath to come, and what a terrible wrath that might be. He goes on in writings to say, I am a real Christian. That is to say, a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Again, he says, the reason that Christianity is the best friend of government is because Christianity is the only religion that changes the heart. Then that leads us into the fourth president, James Madison, also known as the father of the Constitution. He says, we have staked the whole future of American civilization, not on the power of government, far from it. We have staked the whole of our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self-government, upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves according to the commandments of God. The future and success of America is not in this Constitution, but in the laws of God upon which this Constitution is founded. Our sixth president, John Quincy Adams, says this, The highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. And our seventh president, Andrew Jackson. Finally, it is my most fervent prayer that almighty being before whom I now stand and who has kept us in his hands from the infancy of our republic unto the present day, that he will so overrule all my intentions and actions and inspire the hearts of my fellow citizens that we may be preserved from dangers of all kinds and continue forever a united and happy people. One of the other founding fathers, Noah Webster, you probably know from him because he's the one that started Webster's Dictionary, very active member in his church, stated, the moral principles and precepts contained in the scriptures ought to form the basis of all our civil constitutions and laws. All the miseries and evils which men suffer from vice, crime, ambition, injustice, oppression, slavery, and war proceed from their despising or neglecting the precepts contained in the Bible. George Mason, Mason, sorry, George Mason, another of the, our founding fathers, says, the laws of nature are the laws of God, whose authority can be superseded by no power on earth. Now they're talking about governmental power. So like, the laws of nature, the laws of God, cannot be overrun by the government. They cannot be superseded. Our first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Jay, said this in 1789, Providence 
has given to our people the choice of their rulers. And it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. And then the Supreme Court in 1892 issued this statement. Our laws and our institutions must necessarily be based upon and embody the teachings of the Redeemer of mankind. It is impossible that it should be otherwise. And in this sense, and to this extent, our civilization and our institutions are emphatically Christian. So before we move on to the next uh, slide, <clears throat> I, I think 55 people signed the Constitution. Of those 55, 52 of them were active members of Christian churches. <clears throat> Another side note, the whole separation of church and state phrase that we have been faced with by non-religious accusers over and over and again as a way to shut the church up from influencing politics and influencing society is not even found anywhere in the Constitution and it's not found anywhere in the Declaration of Independence or any of the laws. The concept of separation of church and state came from a letter from Thomas Jefferson to the Baptist church denomination because a rumor had been spread that congregational church structure like that, that denomination was slated to become the religion of the United States of America, like the form of Christianity. And so that whole separation of church and state was Thomas Jefferson writing back to the Baptist church saying, no, that's not the truth, that's a lie. We're not going to dictate any state religion, you know, in terms of like what the proper practice is, you know, in terms of being good in, in the state. So the separation of church and state was never about the church not having a voice in politics. The separation of church and state was saying that the government is not going to mandate a form of religion to be practiced. That's where that came from. It was a letter to a Baptist denomination. It wasn't even in any of the... The whole separation of church and state is not really an applicable thing. And the reason being is that the United States was built as a representative government. So if, if the numbers are right that I remember, if 30% of the voter block in the United States of America identifies as Christian, this might be a little bit dated, then that's a 30% representation in the halls of Congress, in the Senate, in the United States executive powers across the board because it's to represent people. And so it's a representative government. Christians are part of the population so they're part of that representative government. So their voice does matter. There is no silencing of the church because of this whole separation of church and state. It's people voting for their representation to preserve their rights and respect the rights of others. So that, just a little side note in terms of that whole separation of church and state thing. I knew this was going to be a very short message. Um, what I want to end with is this video that's going to come up. It's 11 minutes long. Every time I watch it, me, moves me to tears. You guys, maybe you're, you're moved, maybe you're not. But it's a fantastic history lesson for the origins of the National Anthem. So the National Anthem was written in 1812. Because of the War of 1812, 
There's what is known as the War of Second Independence, when the British came back to try to overthrow us after we overthrew them in 1776. So this is kind of a history lesson on the national anthem uh, to give an insight for a couple of things. Why we raise the flag, why we stand for the flag when the national anthem is sung, and why so many people venerate uh, the flag in the United States of America. So we'll let that go, and then, then we'll wrap up. us up in prayer and uh, Twyla will give us uh, the last song. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to always keep you front and center uh, in our lives, in our communities, in our nation. Lord, you've seen in a lot of ways the U.S. has lost its way. And Lord, we ask that by your grace we find that way again. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you that um, are uh, listening in on the podcast, we weren't able to record this through the podcast. So to experience what we experienced, to see what we saw, you can just go to YouTube and type in Star Spangled Banner like you've never heard it before. And uh, yeah, so happy 4th of July, everybody. Hello again, this is Pastor Todd. I pray the Lord uses my message today to strengthen your walk with God. If you are blessed by this message and would like to support the ministry of The Gathering Place financially, I encourage you to use our online giving portal at tgpchicago.org. The portal uses PayPal's secure site so none of your information is compromised. Once again, thank you for tuning in to The Gathering Place podcast. God bless you and have a great week.